Special thank you to Torah Anytime for sharing this uh, shir and others with those of you who cannot be here this evening. Special thank you to Isaac Romano, as always, for doing everything else. Thank you, Isaac. The, uh, the topic this evening is the ultimate prayer. Um, we're going to be somewhat ambitious. In 45 minutes, I'd like to tackle three very basic fundamental questions. Question number one, as the caterpillar was asking to Alice in Alice in Wonderland, who are you? That's question number one. Right, only in the 1950s could you make a cartoon with somebody smoking. Question number two, what is the essence of prayer? Tefillah. What is tefillah? Question number three. This is a question that's raised by the Ramchal, Ramosha Chaim Lozato. We all appreciate the blessing and the gift of tshuva, being able to return, being able to, to come closer to Hashem and clean ourselves from the grime and the dirt of chet. But how exactly does the tshuva process work? How can we say that I'm cleansing myself of the mistakes that I've made in the past? There's no way to go back in time and take away that which I did. So how does the tshuva process work? Three very fundamental hashkafic issues. First and foremost, who are you? Or to direct it inwards, who am I? What defines me? What is my identity? The second issue is, what is the essence of prayer? What is tefillah? And the third and final issue, although they seem not to have that much in common, we're going to find that there is a thread that connects them all. The third issue is, how in the world is tshuva possible? We're told that if you lend money to somebody and you take collateral because you don't really trust he's going to pay you back. If you take his cloak, if you have his jacket, so then before sunset, before it gets dark and cold, then you have to make sure to give it back to him. And if you don't, and he cries out to Hashem, Hashem says, He cries out to me, I will hear him because I am compassionate. I will hear him when he cries out to me. Would you assume in this particular situation, the person crying out is crying out with a feeling of joy or a sense of desperation? You have absolutely nothing. You just borrowed $100 and you gave the guy the shirt off your back. And now it's time for evening and you have nothing to sleep in and you're cold and you're hungry. Likely you're crying out of desperation. Says the Adaris Eliyahu from the Benish Chai. He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us, I will listen to him, v'shemati ki chanun ani, because I am gracious. Ki yadua Because we know one of the klolim, one of the guiding principles of prayer, is that it needs to be expressed with joy. And if we're able to daven with that simcha, then Then our prayers will be accepted. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, that's the kind of prayer I want to hear, if it's with joy. How in the world is the person who's crying out to Hashem, help me, I have absolutely nothing, how does he feel any joy? Where is that simcha coming from? Yet the Ben Chai is telling us, the reason why Hashem gives us the haftacha, promises us, I will listen to you in this particular situation, is because, ki yitzak you're crying out to me with a sense of joy. Why is the man happy? He has absolutely nothing. So I think the answer is something that's very pushed, it's very simple, but as we explore it a little bit deeper, we'll see it's extremely profound. The sense of joy this person has as he's crying out to Hashem in desperation is the feeling that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is listening, is that I'm standing with you Hashem, we're here together, I'm unified with you and although I feel I have no support, I have no family, I have nobody who cares for me, but I always have you. And even though in this particular situation, I know I have nothing, but I have everything at the same time, that's how I'm able to cry out in both desperation and besimcha. And Hashem says, when you feel that, that's real tefillah, that's real prayer. And that kind of tzaaka, that crying out, will be tiskabel baratzen, will be accepted with love. Does God pray? Kind of a strange question. Let's take a step back. If somebody were to ask you, give me one sentence. How do you define prayer? What would you say, Jeff? I would say that I would be speaking to Hashem, asking for guidance and love. Speaking to Hashem, asking for guidance and love. Beautiful definition. What do you say, Mrs. Ziggin? What's the definition of prayer? A communication with Hashem, either thanking God, asking for guidance, saying thank you, right? I think we would all choose something in that realm. It's a communication between man and God. And therefore, if you were to ask the question, does God himself pray, the answer would be? Yes. The answer would be, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Right? It's one thing to tell me that Hashem wears tefillin. Right? Conceptually, metaphorically, we have Hashem on our mind, and Hashem has Klal Yisrael in His mind, so to speak. Okay, that could be a metaphor. But the whole notion of prayer, if we're defining it in, in what seems to be a very simple definition of man speaking to God, so then it doesn't make sense in any way, shape, or form that God could be able to daven. Yet, those of us learning daf yomi, we find on daf zayin and brachos. This, by the way, for those daf yomi learners, will be a good review. There are many gemaras here from brachos that we'll, uh, we'll go over. But the gemara on daf zayin says as follows, famously, minayin shekadosh baruchu mispalel. From where do we know that Hashem actually prays? So it quotes the verse, They will rejoice in the house of my prayer. 
It doesn't say tefilasam, their prayer, but it's bebeis tefilasi. From here we derive, says the Gemara, mikan ha-kadosh baruch mispalel, that God himself prays. My matzli, so what does he say? What is the prayer of Hashem? Says the Gemara, Amar Rav Zutra Bartuvia Amarav Milfanai. Instead of saying it should be the will of God, Hakadosh Baruch Hu himself says it should be my will. that my rachamim, that my compassion should overwhelm my anger. And my love and my compassion and my mercy should take me over, so to speak, in order to be loving and caring for Klal Yisrael. That's the prayer of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What does that mean? Right, how in the world is Hashem davening? It should be my will? That's not tefillah. Tefillah is speaking to God. In this case, he's speaking to himself. How is that analogous to prayer? So what I'd like to do is really analyze what is the mahus, what is the essence, what is the kernel that we call tefillah? What is prayer? Rav Moshe Mitrani, he was one of the great Torah personalities of the 1500s living in Tzfas. He was actually the Rav of Tzfas for 55 years. And he has a very fundamental book in Hashkafa called the Beis Elokim, where he goes through one of the, uh, the chapters in the Sefer is a chapter on Tefillah. So he starts off by giving us a working definition of prayer, very similar to what Jeff suggested. Says the Mabit, The definition of prayer is a human being asking something from God that's not within his sphere of influence. I can't do it myself, and therefore I turn to you, Hashem, please, Bring me more parnasa. Bring us refua. Give me the chachma that I need to understand life. That's what prayer is. Turning to Hashem and asking for help in areas that we cannot get to, we cannot accomplish by ourselves. He goes on to quote the Gemara in Brachos. The Gemara in Lamed Beis tells us there are three parts to prayer, like Mrs. Ziggin was referring to. Shevach, Bakasha, and Hoda. Praise, requesting from Hashem, and Hoda is thanking Hashem. So the first thing he addresses here is what's the point of praising God? What are we accomplishing by the Shevach, by the songs of praise that we sing to a Kaddish Baruch Hu? So on one hand, it almost sounds like your uh, 17-year-old son trying to borrow the keys for the car. Right? If he's smart, he's not just going to go up to you and say, Dad, can I get the keys? But rather, you know, Tati, I was thinking in general, what an amazing father you are. <laughs> and how constantly, every day of my life, I'm inspired by you as a role model, not just the teachings that you've shared with us over the years, but your overall behavior as a human being, as a Jew. Can I get the keys to the car? 
I'll be back by 10.30. <laughs> Says the Mabit, that almost sounds like what we're doing when it comes to the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Shevach! Hakel HaGadol HaGibor Vahanora, you are awesome. You are radically awesome. And then eventually, I need wisdom, I need Parnasa, I need these people to feel better. Please bring Mashiach. It almost sounds like we're, we're buttering him up. That doesn't make any sense. So explains the Mabit, the reason why there's a need for Shevach, for singing praises to Hashem, before we launch into the main part of prayer, which is asking from Hashem, he writes, Tzarech sheyeda adam veyaker kodem tfilaso lelokov, ki ein mi sheyocholoses eshelaso. It's a meditation. It's a way of reinforcing the reality within our own mind that there is nobody who can do anything for me on this planet. There is no force out there that can help me or hurt me. The only guiding principle I have in my life is you, Akadosh Baruch Hu. Everything that I need, all blessings that I'm asking for, I know will only come from your decision and that's why I'm turning to you. But the way to reinforce that within my own mind is starting off with Shevach. I praise you, Hashem. I remind myself that everything is you. I'm only existing because of your reality. And that's why I turn to you. Because I have nobody else in the world to turn to. Let's jump to number three. We have Shevach, Bakasha, Vehoda. Why do we thank Hashem at the end of the Shemona Esrei, at the end of Tefillah? So the Gemara and Brachos and Daf Lama Dalad tells us, it's just like an Evid Shekibel Pras Meirabo, just like a servant who received the reward from his master, the appropriate thing to do is say thank you. But that sounds a little bit strange because if I'm standing here and I just went through all of my bakashos, all of my requests, for me to there, right then and there, say thank you so much for giving me everything, I don't have it yet. And it's presumptuous to be saying thank you because I know you're going to give me everything I just asked for. Maybe that won't be the case. So what are we thanking Hashem for? So says the Mabit, and this brings us into the very essence of what davening, what tefillah is. Second paragraph here on page number two. Could very well be, we have one of the most basic ideas when it comes to prayer, which is, This is an amazing line. The goal of asking everything from Hashem is in order that Hashem should grant our requests. True? False. Of course, whatever I'm asking for, I want. And oftentimes I want it desperately. But if theoretically, God would tell me before I start my Shmona Esrei, by the way, I'm just warning you, this particular thing you've been davening for with such intensity for years, I'm not going to grant you. Even if you daven with all of your kavana and pour in your heart and your soul to this particular tefillah, I'm not going to be able to say yes. Would I still daven mincha? And the answer is a resounding yeah. But why am I asking if I know the answer right now is going to be no? And the answer is 
Because the point of asking from Hashem is not just to get what I want. What I really want more than anything is a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I want to strengthen that Kesher. I want to make that bond more real and more alive and more vibrant. That's the purpose. That's the Matara. That's the goal of Tefillah. So of course we're asking for everything and anything because we know the source of all life and all blessing is only coming from you, Hashem. And this is the ultimate Musr Behispailus. This is the ultimate meditation in reminding ourselves and, and creating a, a broader awareness of what life is really all about. And no matter how well I do or how well I didn't do in the office today or this past month or this past year, I know full well it's all biyadcha, it's in your hands. You have plenty of wealth out there to support me. You have plenty of different ways to bring a refuah for all of those in need. But my main goal, my tachlis in the davening is not just to get the answers that I'm looking for, it's to create that bond, that relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what the Mabit says. Therefore, at the end, we say thank you. Not thank you for giving everything I just asked for, but thank you for giving me the opportunity to stand before you. That's how a person's able to turn to Hashem, even in a time of desperation, and say, I have nothing, I don't even have a shirt to wear, and I'm standing outside and I'm freezing, but I could still daven from a source of simcha. Shemati ki ani. Hashem says, I'm listening to you. I love you. And the fact that I know that brings an inner warmth, an inner contentment, an inner joy in that relationship. When we daven, and we daven with all of our focus, which is a very difficult thing to do, perhaps the most difficult mitzvah we have every day is to daven with intensity and daven with real neshama. Writes Rav Nachman in Breslov, Al by davening with strength. And usually when we have the term bekoach in reference to tefillah, it means bekavana. When I daven with intensity, with intention, then al lamuna, this will enhance, this will make brighter my amuna, my clarity, my faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Davening is not just an expression of Mayamuna, but it's creating more of that faith, more of that trust, more of that reliance on Hashem. Usually when you're hoping something happens, or I have a hope in you as a friend or as a spouse, or as someone in the, uh, in the office, once you come through, so then I no longer have to hope. Yet when it comes to the hope we have in the creator of the universe, there David HaMelech tells us, Hashem, chazek libecha, hope to Hashem, and that will bring more strength and courage to your heart, Hashem, and then you're going to hope to Hashem more. Explains the Malbim, the more hope, the more bitachon, the more we place all of our trust in Hashem, that will, that will create a stronger awareness, that stronger bond to have more reliance and more hope in Hashem. 
The hope is not there just to get something I'm looking for. The hope is an end unto itself. It's creating more of that kesher, more of that relationship with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Why does Hashem want our tefillah so badly? Hashem is looking forward to our prayer. And especially according to the definition of the Mabit, where the main, the main definition is asking from Hashem, the shevach, the praising and the thanking, that's more of the, uh, the bread to the sandwich. But the ikr is bakasha, asking from Hashem. So why does God anticipate that? Why does God look forward to our prayer? So we have in the diary of Rav Yitzchak, Rav Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch. He was the son of the great Rav Sholem Dov, the Rebbe Rashab. He writes in June 19, 1902, commenting on his day and the walk that he took in the park. He says, For an hour and a half I enjoyed strolling through and sitting in the park, gazing at the sky and drowning in memories until I heard the voice of my three-year-old daughter, Hannah, may she live, calling to me, Tati, Tati, where are you? At that very moment, it happened to be that I was thinking about my father's sicha, a discourse that he gave this past Shabbos, explaining the response that's evoked by prayer. He was giving a sicha, explaining Hashem's mood or Hashem's emotion, so to speak, when he hears the prayer of Klal Yisrael. A father's response to his small child who yearns him and who cries, Tati, Tati, answer me. As I was pondering the sicha, I hear my own daughter saying the words, Tati, Tati, and I sensed in myself how a child's call, so innocent, so pure, just wanting that connection with her father, asking something from her father, it brought me such a nachas ruach, it brought me such a sense of, of simcha and pride. He says, now I understand how a Kaddush Baruch Hu must feel, so to speak, when we daven. Why does Hashem look for our tefillah? Because He wants us to ask from Him everything and anything that we need. Not just to get it, but to get the kesher to make that relationship stronger. Why do we love Hashem? One of the mitzvahs we speak about twice a day. Why do you love Hashem? So if someone were to ask you, why do you love your spouse? And you were to say, well, I love my husband because he listens to me. When I tell him what to do, he listens. Is that a healthy relationship? Probably not. First of all, it's totally theoretical because he doesn't listen, right? But even if he did, to say, I love him because he listens to me, that would not sound like a good foundation for a relationship. Yet David HaMelech writes, Ahafti, I love you, Hashem. Why? Ki yishma Hashem is koli because you, Hashem, you listen to me. The paradigm of bitachon. The person living, singing all of the praise of Hashem, the author of Tehillim, he's saying, I love you so much, God, because you answer my prayers? That sounds so cheap. You're, you're, you're taking this relationship that could be soaring and majestic, and, and you're making it all about what you're getting from it? 
Ahafti kiishmas koli tachanunai. Explains the Malbim. David HaMelech was not saying, Ahafti, I love you because you answer my prayers. He never said that. He's saying, I love you because you listen to me. Because I know no matter what, we have a relationship. Because you want to hear my voice. Because you want to connect with me. Hashem is yearning. He has a desire to hear my prayer. Thus says David, I love you because I feel this kesher shel kayama. I feel the love. I feel the relationship between us. Hashem calls out in Shir Shirim, Hashmi'ini es kolech. I want to hear your voice, ki kolech orev, because your voice is so sweet. I want to hear your voice in tefillah. I want to hear you shouting out to me because it's so sweet. Not that I'm getting the, the ego trip that I think you need me and therefore I feel good about myself. But your voice is orev. It's so pleasant because when you're reaching out to me, I'm hearing tati, tati. That's the most nachas a parent could feel. That's the most nachas a Kaddish Baruch Hu could feel. So to answer one of our three questions, obviously each one of these issues can take years of exploration, but at least to have food for thought to walk away with something this evening, how would we define prayer? What we have so far, according to the Mabit, is asking from God those things which are beyond my capacity, and by doing so, I'm not just looking for Him to answer my prayer, but I'm looking to strengthen the relationship. I want to take it one step further, though. Another review of the Gemara and Brachos. The Gemara says, if you have two people who are davening, the last one's out, and this is in the olden days where the base Knesset, the shul was in the field somewhere, and there weren't many people around, to walk home at night by yourself was a little bit scary. You don't know what could encounter you along the way. So you're supposed to wait for the guy to finish. Don't leave him alone. But let's say you're in a rush, I got to get home, I put the lasagna in the oven, and it's already getting too crispy on top. I really got to get back as soon as possible. I'll leave the guy here by himself. Okay, he'll manage. Says the Gemara, sounds like a pretty harsh uh, result. Yatza, if you choose to leave, torfin lo tefiloso befanov. Your prayer will be torn up in front of you, right? It'll be a Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Rip it up. Rip it up in front of him. How do we know that? Shanamar Toref Nafsho Ba'apo. Based on the verse, his neshama was torn up based on his wrath. His neshama was torn up based on his wrath. From there we're deriving that in the case where the guy leaves his friend alone, his prayer is going to be torn up. Rashi explains that nefesh zut The Gemara seems to be equating the very essence of a human being, the neshama, with prayer. Nefesh is tefillah. What in the world does that mean? And we find this, we find regarding Chana, we learn so many hashkafos and halachos from the way that she was davening for a child. It says that she was pouring out her neshama. 
But what does it mean that the neshama is prayer? When Rachel was davening for a child, she says to Yaakov, just like Avraham, your grandfather, even though he already had children through Hagar, he still was able to daven and feel a sense of urgency to pray for Sarah to have a child as well. The Maral is bothered by the question, where do we see that Avraham actually davened for Sarah? It doesn't say that anywhere. Is there any illusion in the Chumash itself that Avram davened for Sarah? Rashi seems elsewhere to say that maybe he didn't daven that it should come through her, or at least he didn't have the, uh, the proper kavana. But it's clear, based on what Rachel says to Yaakov, that Avram definitely did daven for Sarah. When and where did that, did that take place? Says the Maral, he has three answers. I want to focus on his third answer, though. That which you want, that which you desire, that is your prayer. Hashem will do the ratzon, the desire, the will of those who He cherishes. Meaning to say, it very well might be that Avram never expressed a prayer verbally, davening for his wife to be able to conceive. But clearly that's what he wanted. And if that's what he wanted, explains the Maral, that was his tefillah. His tefillah was his ratzon, his desire. Not show zu tefillah, your neshama is your tefillah. When you want something so incredibly badly, when you have such an overwhelming desire to accomplish something, or you're asking Hashem for Him to please do something, please make something happen, that rutzon, even before you express it verbally, that's considered your prayer. So it's very likely we could be davening all the time. That's what David Melech actually says. He says, V'anit fila. I am prayer, explains Rashi. David Melech was saying, talmid. I'm always davening to you. That doesn't just mean that I'm walking around and I'm talking to you, but I'm always having a rutzon. I always have a desire, and clearly getting into the mind of David Melech, it wasn't, I really want a medium-rare steak from Butcher Block. It was obviously much deeper, right? Wanting to connect with Hashem. But a neat fila, I am prayer. This is who I am. This defines me. My rutzon, my will, my desire, that is my tefila. I heard this story from a very reliable source. That the stipler, the stipler go, and Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky, he had a conversation with Rabbi Cheskel Sarno. Rabbi Cheskel Sarno, who was the Rosh Hashiva of Hebron, one of the Gedolei HaMusser. And he was asking him, there's a, there's a fellow in the yeshiva, he's a young man, he was a young teenager, but I see that he's struggling in his learning, 
he has a real desire to grow. He has a she'ifa, he has this awesome ambition, but uh, he, he just needs some help. Can you kind of take him on under your wing and learn with him, get a chavrusa with him, if it's a couple times a week, whatever it is, but if you could help him be matzliach in learning to find his, his success, that would be amazing. And I would forever feel gratitude towards you. Cheskel Sarna said, of course. And he learns with this young man for a while, but eventually he goes back to the stipler and says, I have to tell you the truth, it's really, it's not going that well. You know, it, it's hard for us to really break in together. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure he's cut out for this. I'm not sure he really has the potential. And the stipler hearing this was disappointed. But he said, do me a favor. You have to have faith in him. I know who he is. I know what he's capable of doing. Please keep on learning with him. And Rabbi Cheskel agreed. And they continued learning Bechavrusa. As time went on, there was something that, that shifted. There was this, this opening of, of Chachma and Das and Bina to the point where Rabbi Cheskel Sarna went back to the stipler. Sometime later he said, I don't know what transpired, but clearly this young man is on the right track. And all I can tell you is it had nothing to do with me, he said in his humility, but seeing him steig, yomam v'layla, sitting there, every single waking hour and minute trying to understand, trying to incorporate the ideas, the chachma into his very being, chazering and reviewing over and over again, somehow his mind has flourished and blossomed. Who was this young man? It was Rav Chaim Kanievsky, the son of the stipler, who is the Godel Hador, who is brilliant beyond belief, who is someone who goes through Kol HaTarakula every single year. And he is ligging in Nigla and Nister. He is a master of the revealed and the hidden Torah. How did that happen? It wasn't based on sheer natural brilliance. It was based on a rutzon, on a desire, on an unquenchable thirst to keep on pushing. And he became the person he is today. Ratzon is one of the most powerful things in the world. Rav Dessler explains, Kol she'ifa, every yearning that we have, every ambition that we have, that is our tefillah, that is our prayer. Naturally, that will be expressed in the mode of classic tefillah, but it's only an expression of the real tefillah, which is the ratzon within me. And therefore, when we start off every Shemona Esrei by saying, Hashem's fasai tiftach, Hashem, open my mouth, allow my lips to sing your praise, what we're really saying is, the tefillah is within me. A neat tefillah. I am tefillah. I have this ratzon. I have this unquenchable thirst. Of course, there are many things I need in the physical realm, and pernasa and rafuah. But I also have this, this such strong desire to come closer to you through the tefillah and through everything else I'm doing. Just allow me to be able to articulate these feelings. But the neshama of every tefillah, the soul of every prayer, is the ratzon, is the will, is the desire that we have within us. 
How can it possibly be that a Kaddish Baruch Hu davens? What does that mean? Doesn't davening mean man is speaking to God? According to what we're learning, according to the Mabit, according to the Desler, according to the Maral, that's not really what tefillah means. The very essence of prayer is Ratzon. When the Gemara is saying, HaKadosh Baruch Hu davens, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not standing there with a Siddur. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not saying words. The Gemara is sharing with us into the inner chambers of the infinite, what's the Ratzon Habore? What is the will of God? HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants more than anything to allow, so to speak, the Rachamim and the love to take over and shower us with blessing. That's the will of God. That's the tefillah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. What is the definition of man? Right? To answer the question of the caterpillar to Alice in Wonderland. What is the definition of who I am, who you are? So the Gemara in Baba Kama says, Mava Adam. Based on the Pusik, if you want something, the Gemara says, if you, who's you? You as a human being. So wanting is a reference to a human being, and therefore we're going to call the human being Mave. We're going to call you the wanting being. That defines a human being. That defines who I am. But the idea is yes. What you want is who you are. What you want defines you. Your real rutzon, your real will, that is the definition of you. Rav Huttner used to say that you could have two people. You could have a guy that learned in yeshiva for many years, and he did well, and he learned a lot of Torah. He spent 10 years post-high school, shtiking away. Now he's in the business world, and uh, he does what he has to do. He makes a living, he comes home, he reads the paper, he watches TV, he doesn't have much of an interest in learning. He kind of feels, been there, done that. Uh, I'm a bala boss. I'm a regular guy. And then you could have somebody else who never had the opportunity to actually go to yeshiva. Maybe he was a bal tshuva later on in life, or maybe he went straight from high school to medical school. He never had a chance to learn. And he's doing whatever he's doing to make a parnasa, but in his free time, he looks forward to opening up the sefer. He's trying to do the amud hashvua or the, uh, the Amr Hayomi from Mishnah Brewer, or the Daf Yomi, whatever it is, he's trying to do something. Says Rav Hutner, who's on a higher level? Right? The first guy knows so much more, he could run circles around the second guy. But obviously, you are what your rut zone is. If the first guy, no matter how much he knows, no matter how much he accomplished, no matter how many mesechtas he has under his belt, if that's not his rutzon right here and now, that doesn't define him. The past doesn't define him. The future is not yet here. Who you are is based on what your rutzon is right here and now. The second guy, he doesn't have a glorious past. He can't point to all of the blot that he learned before. He can't make a lenny. Maybe he can't read a Gemara. But more than anything in the world, he just wants to connect with God. He wants to learn. 
he's an entirely different mensch. He's living in a different dimension of reality because his zone is in a very different place. So we had the question, what defines you? It's very simple. What you want more than anything determines who you are. That's it. Because there are so many other factors that are beyond your control. There are biological things, there are genetic things, there are environmental and, and society and culture. There are so many factors that make you who you are to the point where some would even say in the world of psychology, you don't even really have free will. We don't believe in that. But we would say there are many factors that are predetermined, so to speak. The only thing that's really up to you is what do you want to be? Your rutzen defines you. So we had a question. How does tshuva work? What's the process of being able to return to Hashem? Says the Mesilas Yesharim, there's no way to go back in time and erase that terrible thing that I said, that insensitive comment that I said three weeks ago, I can't go back in time. I did say that, is that not true? The answer is, that's not true. The comment was said. You can't take that back. You got angry and you smashed the guy's window with your baseball bat. So you have to pay him for the windows. And that did happen. You can't erase that. However, if that's not what you want to be doing, if you feel real harata, real regret, and I have a whole different mindset of who I want to be, who I need to be, then although it happened, I didn't do it. Not to take away accountability, not to take away responsibility. You have to pay, you have to make good for whatever you did. But conceptually, in reality, if I really want to be a different person, if I'm really doing tshuva, where I regret that person who I was before, and more than anything, I want to become this person, then if there's a change of zone, there's a change of identity. I'm no longer that guy who said that insensitive comment three weeks ago. So to answer our three questions, and like we said, this is not the, the full story. We're just scratching the surface. But this is food for thought. The definition of prayer is rutzon, is my will, is what I really want, and it's expressed verbally. But the soul of every prayer is what I want more than anything else in the world. What defines me? It's my rutzon. That defines you, that defines me. Not the past, but what I want right now going forward. And that's the power of tshuva, that's the process of tshuva. If I could change my zone, I could totally transform the person I was into an entirely different person. We should tap into this very, very powerful koach called zone, and through siyata deshmaya habola taher, coming to purify ourselves, Messiah so HaKadosh Baruch Hu should help us reach new lights of the Vekis and new levels of connection with Klal Yisrael and the Baruch Hu. Thank you.